Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Freddie, also known as Nighty Night, and alongside me we have Philip. Hey, how's it going? Uh, yeah, Philip J. Woodward, also known as the Forest Knight. The Forest Knight, you're back. You're back again, and we're so happy to have you. And for a great one to end the month as well. How are you doing today? I am doing so good, man. It's crazy. Like this one kind of came out of a surpri- as a surprise to me. Uh, I, I think it's an honor to be able to do an entire month with you. This has been so much fun. <laughs> so much fun. Uh, I'm so happy that you're here for this one, too, because I think we're going to have a great episode ahead of us. I hope so. This is this has been something I've been looking forward to all week. Yeah, me too. Well, we are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question, why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. And if you like that and want extra horror-related content, head over at patreon.com forward slash nightlightpod. That's night with a what? K. Awesome. And I do want to shout out some Patreon members as well. So I'm going to go down the list real quick. Thank you so much for Legion Podcast, Lizzie, Josh, Vaughn, Alexis, Johnny, Layla, Dylan, Eric, Kelly, Brina, Daniel, Cheyenne, David, Carrie, Stu, Anna, Stephanie, Calvin, Andrew, Scary Stuff Podcast, Samantha, Patrick, uh, Willow, my sister Jessica, shout out to you, Sandy, Jared, Jasmine, Chantel, uh, Ryo, Jesse, Joe, Kaylee, Bob, Eric, Daylin, myself, you're welcome, Yvonne and Lola. That list is getting long and I appreciate every single one of you. You guys are so amazing. Like, uh, Prince always says, you keep the lights on at the studio. Um, we, the support has been amazing and I hope everyone had a great spooky season. This is something I really take a lot of pride in and I hope you're enjoying all of the interviews that we had for this month as well. Uh, we had some really great guests. So hopefully you liked it. And if you want more, just sign up for our Patreon and we love you so much. But Philip, we're here to end the month and I think we're going to end it on a big banger. We're taking on the orphanage. First and foremost, thoughts. I want to know how many people have seen this movie. This was the first time I had ever heard of it. Oh, wow. It is a, yeah, it is a foreign film. So mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, living in the US, a lot of foreign films can go under the radar. Like I didn't see Let Me In until, or uh, Let the Right One In until I saw Let Me In. I was like, oh, this is based on a foreign film. I want to check this out. Um, same thing goes for Quarantine, right? Uh, I saw Quarantine and then I was like, oh, this is based on a foreign film called Wreck, right? Mm-hmm. I think because it's got a different name. Um, so this is my first introduction to this movie. I've not seen it before this uh, viewing. So I get to be the horror virgin this time around. <laughs> I'm very excited about it. Uh, and it was an absolute blast. I loved just about every minute of this film. And I love how it takes the viewer seriously. Like mm. it doesn't spell everything out for you um, right away. It kind of lets you come to conclusions throughout the course of the film. And I don't know if that's because it's 
a foreign film, so it's structured differently than what I'm used to. But I feel like I, we get spoon fed a lot in uh, a lot of American films. I always think of the moment from um, Prometheus when is it Charlize Theron uh, calls Wayland dad, and you're like, "Well, we knew that already. Like, you didn't <laughs> need to throw that line in there, right? Exposition a little bit." So yeah, I'm. I love this film. I have to agree with you. Um, I've heard about this film, um, and I heard a lot of great things about it, but I never had the time to actually really check it out. And I feel like that's the same thing like you were talking about. A lot of people usually don't look for foreign horror films, or it gets like what you said under the radar. And watching this movie, and I watched it a few times this week. You could probably already tell that I like this movie. I absolutely adore and love this movie. I think it's so well done. And me, the, even the reason why I'm on this podcast is that Prince brought me along t- to talk about like how films are made. And this movie is made beautifully. The cinematography is great. The shots are like well organized. Uh, the acting is phenomenal. Storytelling is phenomenal. Um, I don't think I can say something bad about this movie. The only thing I would say for uh, entertainment aspect is like, it's not as scary as I wanted it to be, but at the same time, it really was when it needed to be. The beautiful thing about this is mostly the story and how it unfolds and how it ends. And I think the story itself is very beautiful and it's something I really enjoy with not a lot of stuff from uh, this director, and we'll talk about the director, but with a lot of stuff that Guillermo del Toro has done. Uh, with like the devil's backbone being a big one that really popped into my mind while watching this movie or other films like Pan's Labyrinth, just stuff that has to do with like kids and like loss and grief and dealing with a lot of uh, tough issues, but at the same time doing it so elegantly. And it's like a, it's like a fairy tale. It does feel like a fairy tale too. And it really ends as a fairy tale being told by the mom at the very end as well. Uh, so I yeah. really enjoyed this movie. The, the fairy tale aspect will come in quite heavily as we go through the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the ending just cinches it. And I can't wait to get get through there and talk about it because it's going to be so much fun. And I agree with you. It, like I loved how many just shots there were that were kind of like palate cleansers. There'd just mm-hmm. be like a beautiful shot of the skyline or a sunset or the house. And it's... Uh, would just kind of be like a nice palate cleanser to what we were just looking at or what was just happening. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's just, it's a beautiful movie. And especially like, we're going to get to it right in the very beginning where there's just like all this beautiful debris floating around as these kids are playing. And just, there's so many cool shots in it. Yeah. It's one of the things that I want to bring up to you is uh, the score. The score is really beautifully yeah. done as well. And all it really, of the sound design. All, yeah, the sound mixing and everything like that. It, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we're both in agreement that this movie rocks and it's really great and well yeah. done. And this was voted by the patrons. So the patrons. So you guys were the ones that voted for this movie. And I thank you for it because it was a close race. And uh, yeah, no, I have nothing bad to say about this movie, but let's jump in. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I didn't want to say too much in the beginning, the start, because like, yeah, I'm so ready to talk <laughs> about this film. We'll break it down for sure. Um, but yeah, it's The Orphanage, 2007, directed by J.A. Bayona. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Released December 28th of 2007 with a runtime of one hour, 45 minutes. A budget of 3.4 million euros. So I'm going to guesstimate that's probably around 4 million, getting close to that 
Yeah, Area. four or five. Uh, box office of 78 million. Um, in a Rotten Tomato score of 87%, which roughly so, if not, it deserves higher. Uh, but I do want to talk about that box office because it is a really big box office. And what we're talking about is like, oh, I wonder who saw this movie in the U.S. Let me see if I can pull it up. Uh, in the U.S., it only grossed seven million, but worldwide, it got seventy-eight million. So that's a big thing. And that's that's huge because you know most of the rest of the world is used to watching a movie in subtitles. So you know, here in the U.S., as the Parasite director said, it's so hard for people to get over that one inch of subtitles on right. their TV screen and. Um, this is one of those cases where uh, it's obvious, you know, only 7 million here is crazy. Which is just making, I mean, still phenomenal for that type of budget for that movie doubled its budget. And probably a limited release. And a limited release. There was a lot of release dates for this movie, and I was kind of talking about that before we started recording. Um, but it's kind of weird that this movie came out around December time, too. And I was like, oh, that's very interesting. But it kind of is a very magical movie. So it's like the holiday type movie as well in sure. a horror-esque atmosphere. But yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> but yes, we open to a slow pan down shot outside of the kids playing a game. One, two, three, knocking on the wall. Every time she knocks and turns around, kids begin to get close to her. Every turn, they get closer and closer until one of them taps on her and she chases them all. Uh, the big thing I put here on my notes too is like great thing to point out is the cinematography and the score is already amazing. So I was already blown away by just the opening scene. I was like, oh yep. my god, this movie's gonna be really well done. Uh, that's when we hear a phone ring as we cut inside to the house with someone answering it. Addresses the caller as Good Shepherd Orphanage. She says that everything is prepared and that she's just playing outside as she opens up a file to see her name as Laura. She explains that she hasn't been told yet that she will be happy in her new home, and that's when we cut back and forth with her playing. She hangs up the phone and opens the door and sees all of the kids playing. She explains that her friends will miss her a lot. Right before cutting to black, Laura tags a kid and says, I got you. Cut into black, we see a cool rip-through of the screen of wallpaper with Guillermo del Toro Presents. And this opening sequence is phenomenal, too. It's like the wallpaper is ripping, we see all of the credits, we see the director's name, all the actors... Um, I was blown away by it. I was like, and I really knew. I, I had paused it and I was like, this is going to be a good movie. And then I pressed play again. I, I, I <laughs> it, talked to myself while watching this movie. It looked so cool. Yeah. It was so neat. Like, I loved how it went to the fade to black and then the tears <laughs> started and then they tore it back to black by the end and then go right. into the next scene. It, and the it's best so part clean. is that it comes back. It does. It comes back later, and it's so cool. It, Every, everything in this movie comes back, and it, it makes me so happy. It's it's what strong storytelling could do. Um, we cut to a kid yelling for their mom. We cut to the parents waking up from the screams. The mom gets up and walks down the hallway. And I even put here a great panning tracking shot. It's like the, the camera is its own character in this movie, which I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, she gets in and talks to her son, Simon. Or I'm going to say Simone, because that's how it's pronounced in the movie. Uh, he explains that they are outside and to listen for them. She comes to him and tells him to go to sleep. She explains that his imaginary friends were playing late and that they probably just got stuck outside. She opens the window and then closes it to play along. Then addresses that isn't he too old for things like this. He responds asking if she was scared when she was little. 
She explains that she was never really scared because there was a lot of them and that there was a lighthouse on all night. She explains that it's still there, but no longer working. She explains that she will show him when they go to the beach tomorrow. He asks, why doesn't it work? She said, can you keep a secret? In reality, it does work. And I love the scene. Um, that the light is invisible and it's there to protect them. He questions it. She says, okay, try this. Look at the window. What do you see? And don't move. She picks up a metal clock on the counter and reflects the moonlight towards the lighthouse, making it appear like it's coming from it. Simone laughs. He explains those kids are uh, kids that are coming. Why can't they stay at home? She explains because they are special children, that they need a lot of special care. They can't come and go because it's too far. Do you understand? He nods and asks if he can sleep with her tonight. She says that he's pushing it in a very comical manner. And then we cut to the next day at the beach. Very strong opening scene with um, her relationship with her kid, right? I think it's yeah. something that's very playful. And I have not seen something like that before of like her picking up the metal clock and reflecting light. I, I love that scene. I was like, oh, that looks really good. Yeah. yeah, I loved it because it's like it's a magical light <laughs> because you don't really know where it's coming from, but yeah. it it made it all that more kind of like mystical. And then, uh, you know, obviously when it's hitting the window, it goes from the left side of the lighthouse, and she actually kind of makes it appear by turning the clock, and then um, you know goes across, makes it wider, and then makes it thinner again as it gets a roundabout to make it look like it's really a lighthouse turning. And right. I, just, I thought the whole effect was really cool. Super and clever. And like you said, uh, it was a great bonding moment. Like you can tell she really loves him, and. Uh, it's just a beautiful scene. Yeah. And I love that beforehand with uh, Carlos and Laura talking. It's like, oh, it's your turn. It's my turn type of thing, too. I, I like mm-hmm. their dynamic, too. It's like, this is uh, something that always keeps him up at night. So we know that this is something that's reoccurring. Right. Cool. Uh, next day at the beach, we see a bunch of movers. Uh, we get a quick cut to the beach. Then we see a bunch of movers bringing stuff into the house. Laura sees Carlos playing the piano and joins him. They play together, and uh, Simone comes running in with the best outfit ever, almost like a superhero. Loved his little outfit. He tells his dad if he's going to come to the beach. He responds, aren't Watson and Pepe... Was it? Is it Pepe going? He explains that they didn't sleep a wink last night. The dad calls him a smartass, and that they're only friends when it suits them. He tells him to take his pill, and he does. He explains that the S on his shirt stands for uh, Simone. His mom tells him to go get his bag and that his dad will meet him there later. As he runs off, she explains that they should talk to him about his invisible friends. Carlos explains that it's harmless and it will all change when the real kids arrive. She smiles. That's when we hear a crash and some shouting. She seems to be worried and he comforts her, says that he's happy that they're there together. They continue playing as we cut to them walking towards the beach. They talk about pirates and hidden treasure in the lighthouse by a cave. We then see the cave. He runs in and explores. With uh, Simone, uh, he has a flashlight looking around. He stares at something and says hello. He continues to say hello to something that's in the darkness. We cut to the waves crashing as Laura's picking up some shells. He calls out to him to let, let's go. She goes into the cave to see what what he's up to. She calls out to him. Then we see him whispering, do you want to play, to someone that we cannot see. He asks, why? Why can't you play? 
then ask if they want to come to his house to play later. I was already said, like, oh, this is how it starts. This is how the spookiness follows him back to the house. Uh, she calls out to him, asking what he's doing. He says that they're playing. He explains that it's someone new, not his imaginary friends. He asks if he can come play later. She just nods as he runs away. She goes around the corner to see what he was looking at, and nothing is there. She points to the flashlight and just sees a trail of footprints. Then we cut to them walking down the path again. She explains to Carlos that he had made a new friend as we see him leave a trail of shells back to the house. Back at the house, there's a storm that's happening. We see, the, and then we cut to a car that's arriving and some knocking at the door. We see Laura go answer it and sees a lady. She explains that she is sorry that she didn't call because she couldn't get her number. She says that her name is, I don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm just going to call her B. Or do you know how okay. to pronounce this name? Uh, it's like Beninga. All right. So B, <laughs> uh, B says that she's a social worker. She apologizes that she's come a long way. And if anyone's listening that has this name, I am so sorry. <laughs> but now your nickname is B, and you're just gonna have to live with it. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's done. She apologizes that she's come a long way. Uh, Laura apologizes that she's come a long way. That she hadn't arranged any interviews today. She says that she's here for Simon or Simone. We cut to them inside talking about the house. She explains that she grew up here when it was an orphanage, that she knew, uh, that she, she knew that she would be back home. She questions about her calling it home. She explains that she's concerned about the special children. She says that Laura will need a lot of help. She explains it's not that kind of home, that they will be happy with just five or six kids. She asks about why she's here. Uh, and, and why she's looking about, uh, Simone. She hands her some papers, some files, and it's very old. She explains that there are some experimental treatments, which require an application that she might be interested in. She explains that her husband is a doctor and is aware of all the treatments that's available for his disease. She asks her to leave and says that he doesn't know, uh, she doesn't know, oh, that Simone doesn't know that he's adopted nor knows about his illness that she'd like to deal with it with her husband. Then we cut to her closing the door on the visitor. She looks at all the paperwork about the change of address and also shows that he's HIV positive. She locks the files and takes locks the files in the drawer and takes the key. Then we cut to um, the little child drawing as she watches. Now we got a lot of story here with her visiting. Now we know that he has a illness that's not curable, of course. Um, and it's something that's like, it's something really big. And now we know that he's also adoptive. And that's a really big thing in this movie as well. Yeah, I, I like that they, you know, are treating it in the way that they treat it in this movie. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's just another condition. It's just right. another thing that, like, he has that they have to deal with. Right. Um, it's not like this thing where they're scared to touch him or, or be around him. Like I really liked the representation uh, in this film of how they dealt with it. And I love that it was delivered in the way it was delivered. Like, uh, like I, this is what I was saying earlier where it trusts the, the viewer to be, you know, smart enough to watch the film and know what's going on. Right. They obviously know that he's got some sort of condition cause he's taking medication and then uh, when this happens, rather than having this explanation of, oh, he's got HIV, these are the things you need to worry about or whatever else, it's just on his paperwork. 
And so I thought that was really neat. The on the second watch, the scene is so crazy because at first, you know, you're you think that she's just a social worker. So, oh, of course, she's supposed right. to have this information. <laughs> but watching it a second time and knowing what we know about her and knowing that she has no affiliation, it's like, <laughs> what in the how did she get this information? Right. Like, it's more creepy. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, she's obsessed with this house and knows that there's something going on there. And she feels like they're invading her space. But it's so crazy to think that she's so obsessed that she found out who was moving in. She found out about the child, what their plans were. Enough to be able to pose as a social worker and actually come off as a legitimate, albeit slightly creepy, social worker. Yeah, like she knows everything. I love that you brought up like they just treat it like something. It's just like another obstacle with her child. And it just shows the real connection. It's like, I'm going to protect this kid as much as possible. Um, At the same time, seeing B's backstory, we know what happened to her child. And then maybe it's her way of like, I don't want the same thing to happen to my child, to your child being in this house Mm -hmm. or something like that as well. Um, But yeah, you bring up a good point where the second time watch, knowing who she is, makes this a lot more... I can say maybe threatening a little bit, but sure. more um, insidious. I'm going to bring the word insidious in every episode. <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah, we hear some clanging moving through the bedroom. She wakes up and calls for Carlos. She hears the noise outside and we cut to her walking towards the shed. She asks who goes there. And now there's dead silence. And I always found this very creepy, especially the second time watching it. Um, even the crickets that were in the scene go completely quiet. Go quiet. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, what? That's crazy. And then rewatching, I was like, oh, it's for sure a thing. That happens a few times throughout this movie where we, we were talking about sound design earlier, where there's very deliberate sounds happening and then there'll just be silence. Yeah. It's so good. It's so effective. It's like for the viewer to like pay attention of what happens next. Um, she, she goes towards the shed and the door is swinging and thudding. Uh, she opens it. She goes inside and looks around. And I put here again, the camera movement is phenomenal. And I, I'm just like obsessed with how this movie was shot. Uh, there's a woman that was behind her and scares her and it's her. She asks what she's doing there. She just runs off with a shovel in her hand. She runs out to see her. And that's when we cut to her waking up Carlos. Then we're outside with them checking out the shed. He informs her that she should sleep with Carl, uh, with uh, Simone. That if she comes back, that they will call the cops. The next day, uh, Simone asks for his mom to wake up. She slowly wakes up, asking Simone to stop. We see Laura walking to the front of the door and opens it, seeing a bunch of shells and a path of them going down the uh, the pathway. Then we cut to them in the bathroom. Uh, with the or sorry, we cut to a bathroom door closing by itself. And then, oh, I put here, my theory was that when she opened the door and the shells fell over, she let something in. That was completely wrong. But yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, we should probably point out that the woman in the shed was B. Yeah, it was B. Uh, yeah. Uh, and that was it, even more so to get that scene so fast after the social worker scene. Uh, it's like, oh, this is way more insidious than we thought. As far as our, our, the first time watch in the second time watch, it's like, oh my gosh, there's a whole reason why she was in there. Right. And now we know what that reason is. And uh, it's 
just so cool because it comes back again as I as we talked about earlier. It comes back at the end. And right. It's, it's so cool. This the significance of the shed and what's in there and what she was mm-hmm. trying to do and in why there. she was in there. Yeah. No, it's ah, such clever writing. I love it. Um. So yeah, and so we see the bathroom door closing by itself, and this is our first major paranormal activity that we see here. Um, we see them talking about Peter Pan and how Wendy grows up, but Peter does not. He asks if Peter Pan took him if she would go too. She says that she's too old and that she's 37. I was like, damn, is that old now? 37 is <laughs> old? God damn it. Um, he asks, what age will you die? She says not to, not to ask that type of question, but not for a long time, just like him. He says that he won't get old. She asks if he will be like Peter Pan, and he says no, like his new friends. Very creepy line, and it's very effective, too. Um, she asks how many they are, and he says six, and they don't grow up. I'm actually, yeah, reading this back now, he does say six, but there's five of them, right? Uh, so there's five of the original kids, and then there's Tomas. Oh, Tomas, that's right. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, we cut to later in the day, and she sees a drawing that he has made of his new friends, one with a bag over its head. We cut to them talking about the kids holding something, and he says it's treasure. She asks if they are invisible, and he agrees. He says that they're still uh, that they steal treasure from you, and it's something that you love, and you have to find it to follow your clues. And if you find it, you will get a wish. Then he talks about these special coins saying it's valuable that an old man left it behind. He goes and shows all of his stuff to his mom and what he was able to find. There's a small box filled with teeth, and he explains that this is the first clue, that they have his coins. She asks if he wants to play Treasure Hunt, but he explains the game already started. I love the dialogue in this movie as well. The back and forth between uh, her and her son is really well done. It's really well written. I also would like to point out that they call them milk teeth, which I thought was interesting. I'd never heard that term. Before. I've never heard that term too. It's here. It's usually like baby teeth, right? Right. Uh, so milk teeth was interesting. Uh, also on first watch, this scene uh, was really fun and it was like, Oh wow. He met all these kids, but him talking about him not living very long. Right. It's and so sad. Knowing, knowing what we know in just the, later part of this scene where he discovers what he discovers uh you're like oh he knew already at this point what his condition was and everything yeah and it's and that the kids are pretty much filling him in with everything but that information is not given to the audience yet for us the viewers yeah uh he says if he can find the coins he can make a wish she goes to a little box herself and sees that there's sand in there she asks if he set this up he laughs a second clue she asks if it's from the beach and he says no it has to be from the house they go outside it's pouring rain at this point they go to the garden and find something in uh find something in some sand uh that belongs to a sewing box they run back inside and find another clue and then back down the stairs to the chapel leading them to another clue which was a russian doll they open it in the stairs and he finds the key Real quick, yeah, it's called a matryoshka doll. Oh, I lo- I had to look it up because I knew it had a name. <laughs> okay, I love that. I, I see. At least you can pronounce words. <laughs> see, this is why we have you on the show. We we need you here. 
Uh, but I, I love that thing where it's like they're just taking it apart. This is a very fun moment between them two, like doing the treasure hunt, and the music is like upbeat and it's so much like fun and they're it feels like an adventure. So much fun. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's like so quick great. cuts. Uh, before we would get these long shots, and right now it's just like everything's moving very quick. It feels like um a collage of videos of them going from clue to clue and it's very fast paced and it's very exciting. Uh, you feel like you're a part of their adventure, which is cool. And you, you also get a lot of exploration on the grounds of the property. That's true too. Which is a lot of fun. And at this point you realize that this is the same building that they started the, the movie at, which I thought yes. was really cool. Um, and have they called her Laura at this point in the film? Have they actually said her name through exposition? I don't know yet. Um, because I feel like they, they hide that for quite a while. Right. And obviously it has a big significance talking about it. You know, her name is Laura. Obviously we know at this point that she's the girl from the very beginning. But I like how they just don't explicitly tell you at any point that that's who she is. I, I think you're totally right because uh, for me, who's writing like the show notes, I have to know what, who's the character's names are. So, like, I had to pause the movie. I'm like, all right, who are you? And then who's the husband? Because they don't right. really talk about Carlos's name for a while, too. Um, I had to find out what their names were through IMDb to, like, start writing the show notes and stuff like that, too. So that's a good call out. I don't think they yeah. actually tell the names until later. Well, I, I know Carlos gets his name said in the in the very beginning sequence where she uh, yells she's, like, she's like, Carlos, wake up. He's, he's yeah. you know, like, up or whatever. And then he doesn't wake up. But hey, I don't know when we hear her name for the first time, thinking back on it. But it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then we get that great reveal. It's like when they open up the last piece of the doll, they open it uh, by the stairs and they see the same key that she had before that locked up the file about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knows it's for the kitchen drawer where she has hidden the files. She's scared. He runs to the kitchen and opens it. He sees the files, but he just shakes it, revealing the coins fall into the ground. I He's, love that he doesn't care about them. Yeah, at all. He's like, I'm just he, here he, for the coins. He already knows the information, obviously, because the spirits have told him. Right. I don't think he actually knows what that file is. Right. He at never first. looked at it. He he doesn't yeah. like you said, he does not care. He's just there for the treasure. Just like a kid, man. He's yeah. just there for his coins. It's so great. Uh, and he's just like ecstatic. He's happy that he can make his wish. Um, and that's when she kind of like flips on him a little bit. She yells at him for possibly lying about getting it in there, um, that he was in there before and planted it. He tells her that she is not her mother and that that's what uh, his friend told him. He said that his friend Tomas told him the truth, that he is just like them, they, that he has no mom or dad and that he was going to die just hits you with that powerful line of like that he is going Dude, to die and you're like so what? much emotion like i'm i'm tearing up right now just thinking about it like this movie has so many heavy themes and it handles all of them so well yeah no this ending ruined me a little bit Dude, oh my yeah. gosh um and we'll, it, we'll get there and i had to like that's why i really wanted to watch it a second time without doing the notes because it takes away from a lot of stuff this by far was the one that took me the most time to write the notes for uh mostly because there's a lot that happens really quickly and of mm-hmm. course because it's a different language and there's subtitles which distracts you from watching the movie itself so i was like oh, note taking was a nightmare but it was so good to do it because you get to see all of the small details as well 
I probably watched this movie three times because mm. I would start watching it, be reading the subtitles while writing the notes, pause it so I could catch up on my notes, rewind so I could watch like the sequence without thinking about it. And then I did an entire rewatch after I was done writing my notes that was just me enjoying the movie. Exactly. Because yeah. it's it's so worth it. It's I saw so it three it. times as well. Um, and I think we were texting back and forth like, oh, yeah, it's like we're going to watch it again. And we kind of knew that we both loved this movie without telling each <laughs> other that we love this movie. Because, you know, we want to have the fresh take on the on the podcast itself. But I think I even told you, it's like, yeah, I ended up buying it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to rewatch this over and over again. So worth it. Yeah. Every spooky season, I'll probably watch this one. Um. Yeah, he yells that she is not his mother and that she's the liar, and he just runs out. That's when we cut to the parents talking about him and then talking about the truth. And I love that he's all like, oh, is Father Christmas a lie yes. too? I love that. I love that joke so much. because he, yeah. he delivers it so well. Like, There's so much sarcasm in his voice and the way he like rolls his eyes. It's so good. I want to know how many takes that took because right? it, was, it was perfect. The, the kid actor is really good in this movie. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, Carlos explains that he must have seen the file and made up this game because he was too afraid to talk about it. He, um, that's when Simone t- looks at the pill on the plate and he asks, what happens if he does not take it? He, um, Carlos explains that nothing would happen. And then he asks back, how long would it take for, for me to die if I don't take it? Carlos then comforts him by saying that it will take, that he will take care of him and that he will not get sick or die. And that's a very tough conversation to like see here as well. Yeah. Uh, we cut to black. We see a room with multiple beds, and also a classroom, and also a bathroom. Uh, Simone, looking out the window, as a car comes, he sees that everyone is setting up for this party. Laura calls for him, saying that the first kids have arrived. He explains that he wants to show the tiny house of Tomas. He won't take no for an answer as they go back and forth, arguing about it. She ends up smacking him out of frustration. She says that no one will force him to go downstairs, and she leaves. Back at the party. Go ahead. Uh, So real quick, I wanted to say that she doesn't just slap him. He, like, knocks a tray out of her hands. And at that point, it, like, breaks. All the frustration is built up to the point where she just loses control for a moment. And smacks him. And she feels because, awful about it, too. Oh, instantly. And yeah. you can see all that emotion on her face where she just pulls back. The actress does an amazing job of, of showing all of that regret yeah. on her face. As soon as she did it, she realizes, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that to my baby boy. Um, like, she doesn't necessarily say it, but she you know, shows right. that she's very remorseful about it. She's a very caring mother, for sure. And, you, yeah, like you said, she's very remorseful about it. There's a lot of, like... um faces these characters make throughout the movie where I'm just like, damn, that looks realistic. Like you seem generally either like sorry or terrified or angry. Uh, there's a lot of sense of realism in this movie, which just keeps the movie very grounded and very realistic where you just, you believe everything in this movie. I like believed everything, even the ghostly like activity. I'm like, yeah, I can see that happening. I don't know why, we, but yeah. We joke about, insidious you know things being insidious right. but i was surprised how much kind of crossover there was between insidious yes. and this movie and we see the, like, uh, the medium that we'll talk about yeah, yeah we'll yeah. get there 
but not obviously in the way that it's scary and the way it's like the story is presented because it's a completely different story in and of itself. But just there are so many crossover uh, similarities in the way that they portray the like the ghosts and how they function and, and right. whatnot. Being able, like the kid being able to contact the the dead and stuff like that, being able to like kind of cross over to a different plane, right. Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily like the astral projection from right. from Insidious, uh, where it's like the the uh, I can't remember what it's called right now, but the black place. The, the further. Um, the further. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, because they can see like the old st- structure and furniture and stuff. But right. It's it's really cool. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities in it, and I I feel, and I don't want to say this movie does it better because they're two completely different movies, but this makes it feel more realistic. That's the only way I can put it. I I like how both of them did it on their budgets in different ways. That's fair. Yeah. And like, you know, for for their for Insidious, they did it in such a way that looked visually really cool. And in this movie, they did it they opted to visually really not do it at all. Right. Um and both ways were very effective in the in the way that they were presented and, and just absolutely uh fit within their budgets and what they were trying to accomplish. I agree. Uh, it's uh, in this movie they kind of rely on the mediums, the actresses' uh, acting, and like and, what and your she, imagination. How, yeah, in our imagination of what we think she's seen and how she explains it. Um, yes. So back at the party, people are having fun, and a bunch of creepy masks are being held, uh, handed out to the older kids. And I was like, "Why? Why would you have these, these- masks? Were so creepy, so terrifying. I, I was more scared. This is probably these masks were creepier than just about anything else in the movie. Right. It reminded me of the like. It's funny because um, uh, Pet Cemetery, the new one where they had like the mm-hmm. kids and they had like the little marching band with little animal masks. Yeah, and like all that. the animal masks. Uh, yeah. It reminded me of that. And I was like, oh my god, this is horrifying. But it yeah, looks really it, good too. Them. They use them really well. Yeah, and it makes uh, sense for her to not freak out after seeing what she sees in the hallway later on, which we'll talk about, right. which is great. It's like, that's a great way to use divisive like storytelling. And to create like a sense of an anonymity for all the people. Exactly. Also, really smart if on a low budget, because you can put people in different clothing and masks, and you don't know if it's the same little girl from earlier or not. Exactly. Because- no, it's, I cannot applaud this movie more for its filmmaking. Uh Laura looking around the crowd, she notices someone that she may recognize, and she thinks it's B, but she turns around and it's not her. Carla looks at her, and then we see a kid with a sack over their head. We don't know who this character is so far. Not yet. Uh, she enters the house calling for her kid, looking around the house room to room. She goes to the room at the end of the hall, uh, and that's when she hears a whistle. She turns around and sees a creepy sack kid. <laughs> and that's how I put it in my notes. Creepy sack kid, that. be creepy sack kid. Creepy sack kid. Because I was like, unknown name for now. <laughs> I was like, all right, creepy sack kid it is. Uh, the kid begins to walk towards her. And then I just put here, I, I love putting these notes here, creepy kids, be creepy kids. And <laughs> and it's it, it's sad looking back at this too, because you hear like snorting as like the kid is walking. And you know that this person was like sick. Of course, mm-hmm. or like had some type of um, problem with breathing. So you hear the snoring in bed at the same time. It, it's a very scary visual to see a kid with a sack over the head coming towards you. Uh, she thinks it's her child. She begins to take off the mask as the kid yells and pushes her into the end hallway bathroom. 
the door closing on her fingers and then falling into the bathtub. She's in a lot of pain and is bleeding. The kid closes the door and locks her in, showing the key through the window. I love how diabolical that is. It's like very playful, but it's like, hey, I locked you in. Look, I have the key. It's very playful in the same way as well. Yeah, it, I also thought it was interesting because it's almost protective of um, of Simon, right? Yeah. Because he's like, I'm not going to let you hurt him again. I can't believe you did that. You're supposed oh, to love him. That's a good call out. Yeah, that's probably the reason why. Um, she's bleeding as her nail comes off. I hate scenes like that. It's so good. <laughs> Dude, uh, she gets so messed up in this movie. <laughs> she goes through a lot. Physically and emotionally, through a oh lot of stuff. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I feel bad for Laura. Even yeah, man. Uh, she yells for Carlos, and then he is able to go upstairs and manages to open the door. He asks what's going on, but she just rushes around the house looking for him. And uh, and I just put here, it's like there continues to be a lot of creepy mass at this party. I don't know why people are not scared of this. <laughs> uh, she goes outside looking around as well. Uh, taking people, uh, kids' masks off, yelling for Simone as people stare at her. She runs towards the beach in a panic. We see waves crashing as the music intensifies. She runs into the ocean thinking she sees him in the cave as Carlos goes after her. He finally catches up to her. Yeah, go ahead. Did we have the part where oh. the poles fall out of the closet? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I was about to bring that up. So I. That wasn't in my first notes, but I wanted to bring it up, and I thought I was going to remember it. But yeah, while she's looking for her kid, she's looking through the closet, and a bunch of like poles fall over and stuff like that, and she slams the door shut, which is a big part of this movie we get to revisit later on. So during her search, she opens up the closet door and stuff falls out. She puts it back in and then slams it shut. Thank you for bringing that up, because I, I was yeah. going to forget. No, Absolutely. Um, and then, yeah, Carlos was able to catch up with her in the waves uh, and grabs her. And she says that she sees him there where he looks back and there's no one there. Uh, we cut to night and there's a boat in the water with a group of people looking inside the cave for her son. We cut to the hospital where Laura is. The doctor explains that Carlos is there and wants to talk to her. He comes in asking how she is and saying that he was not in the cave. She said that she saw someone and they, and I said, like, and this random lady comes out of nowhere saying that she just imagined it out of the confusion. She says that her name is Pilar and that she will do her best to find her son. And Carlos explains that she works for the police. She explains, uh, knowing his backstory, that it could be an old relative, perhaps, that could have kidnapped him. That uh, no one from the social, uh, no one by the name that she was given is a social worker. Pilar asks her to describe her. She says her description, and Pilar says that they will find this woman. Cut to the police at the house, looking around. We then are with Laura in a wheelchair. Uh, Carlos gives her a medallion for good luck, and that he's only lending it to her until they find him. We cut to the hallway, and then Laura dreaming about swimming. She hears the whistle blow, and then she wakes up. She gets in her wheelchair and rolls out into the hallway. We hear some clanging, then a loud thud. More spooky sounds as the camera follows it. She calls out to Carlos. She hears a loud sound again and calls for him again. He runs up the stairs as she goes into uh, her child's room, pulling the covers to see that there's a doll there. 
such a creepy thing. I think even like dolls are just a creepy thing to have. I don't know why. Yeah. Dude, this scene on second watch was so heartbreaking because you know, you know that the whistle (sighs) is him trying to, you know, get attention, get get somebody's attention. And and then it's him like, you know, walking around, going up the stairs, maybe hitting against a wall. And then of course the final sound, which we find out what that is at the end of the movie, but knowing what it is, is just so heartbreaking. Cause you're sitting there watching the rest of the movie going, Oh God, he's just, uh. this movie um, is very emotionally powerful. I'd also like to point out like that leg break was pretty brutal. In oh the ocean. yeah. I was, I was surprised how brutal that looked. Yeah. So like when she was running in the ocean, she, that's how she broke her leg essentially. And, she can, that's a that's a powerful thing about a mother's love, right? And that's not even her own child, but she loves her, loves him like her own child. She kept on going. She kept on going against yeah. the waves with that broken leg and screaming to save her son or what she thinks was her son. Yeah. Yeah, it's very powerful. Uh, we cut to the next day. Seeing the hallway bathroom opened and slammed shut. I love that. It just got like really progressively crazier. Uh, and I put here too, great sound design on all of the scary sounds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the same thing with like that night, the thudding and the, the creaking, so good. Uh, we hear over the news that six months has now passed since the disappearance. That was such a large jump in time, to be honest. That kind of scared me. I was like, where did he go? Yeah. Where? Yeah, and it's it's so crazy. I love again. I love how they do this exposition through a news cast, like while we're seeing other things happen. Right, and it's just kind of like if you're not listening to that, you wouldn't un- know what was going on. So this movie does a lot to draw your attention and to make sure you're paying attention. Exactly. Uh, that's when we cut to Laura talking to a group of people, and that she explains to them that there are no clues or trace of him. She says that she had that he had imaginary friends that they never really paid attention to it that she has a feeling that they're still in the house. Then we have another parent talking about their daughter. That's when we kind of realize that this is a support group. And I love that that's how we realize what we're actually in. It's like, oh, who are these random group of people? Cool. 2 minutes later we find out. Awesome. Um the main talker says that sometimes people will feel their loved ones and she says that they don't understand her, that she believes her friend, uh, his friends took her son and that he's alive, that she will do anything to get him back. That's when we cut back to Carlos in full investigation mode. He's got papers on the walls all pinned up. He's got like little lines everywhere. Uh, it's just that he really cares too, but he's doing it more of the analytical route, the more of like the evidence and trying to find out if he can solve the mystery rather than the superstition. And he so, kind of talked about that, where it's like when she when he gave the medallion, he's like, "Oh, you don't even believe in this kind of stuff." And we kind of have that contrast. I have a specific note here that says, "Jumped six months later, and there is a ton of information about Simon's disappearance on a wall that Carlos is tending to while the newscaster talks about the case in the background." Mm-hmm. And then I have this note that says, uh, "We see the wall of information about C- Simon is way bigger now, and it is beginning to snow." Right. It's they're both obsessed in two different directions in the way, which is kind of yeah. cool to see. And it's also a cool way to show the passage of time. Yes. 
which I love. Uh, we see them. Uh, we see them back in the car driving as they pass a poster as uh, Simone uh, missing. She opens her medicine bag and takes a container of pills out. The red light turns green, but they almost crash into someone, having her drop her pills. It's the lady from the house. It's B. Uh, Laura gets out of the car, calling for her. She turns around, but gets hit by a car. Uh, and I put it here, I was like, I didn't see that coming one bit. That first time watch no. scared the shit out of me. I was like, wait, what? Because we didn't yeah. see anything huge happen to anyone besides her getting pushed and stuff like that, too. But this was like our first like really big jump scare, like what the fuck just happened moment. It's so perfect, too, because it comes at a moment where it's like, oh, this isn't that kind of movie, kind of. Right. It and felt like Final Destination status. Like it just literally, literally happened. I have my in my notes, it says... A mother freaking car. Like what? Who was right. the driver? Why were they driving like that? Right. The driver doesn't even come out. I was <laughs> like, what? And it's it's weird because um the whole aspect is like, oh, they almost crashed into her. They stopped the car. It diffuses any tension build. And then it comes right. out of nowhere, which is great. That's a great way to do it. Um but yeah, uh, didn't <laughs> I didn't see that coming one bit. She yells for someone thinking he's under the car, but it's a doll with a sack head. She goes over to the body, and it's too late, while Carlos is trying to bring her back, but she's already gone. They look at each other. Then she notices a whistle around her neck. She grabs it, and we get this gnarly jump scare of her reflex of grabbing her arm, and we get a great look at her destroyed face. And... As scary as it is, it looks great. It looks terrifying to look at. It's all like mangled and stuff like that. So this moment had so many little things that just had me reeling. Because when you see him doing CPR, he actually attempts mouth to mouth. Because you see him come up with blood on on his his mouth. Yeah, And when you get the reveal after they cover her face before Laura gets over there, it's like, how, would that even have done anything? Because you, you for, for mouth-to-mouth to work, you have to have a closed circuit, right? So that the air right. can travel to the lungs. And judging by the way her face oh was God, contorted, yeah. I, I don't think that's possible. Uh, yeah. It was wild. It, it was, was a wild. wild visual. And it looked like it was like uh, prosthetics and it was like not visual effects, but like practical effects. Yeah, and it made it look. Oh, it's so scary, especially when she grabbed her arm. I was like, "Oh, she's still alive." No, she's not. Okay, never mind. But it's a scary moment. I would love to see the behind the scenes on how they they made that effect. Oh yeah, for sure, absolutely. Uh, Back with the investigator, she explains that they found photos and videos at the lady's house, a picture of her friends, as she tells her, back from the orphanage back in the day. Laura names all of the kids. She explains that she. That she's in... I don't know what I was trying to say here. She explains that she was part of it. Uh, the woman worked at... And then that's when they revealed that the woman actually worked at the orphanage. That's when they play one of the Super 8 films. As she says that she doesn't remember her working there. And then it shows the worker inside the film. That she wasn't there for too, uh, too much long. That she had a son named Tomas. And not a lot of people knew about him. That Tomas kind of disappeared. That kids played a trick on him, taking his mask off and leaving him in the cave, thinking he would uh, come out. But he never left, so he drowned. They found the body later, after a low tide. 
the kids were never to blame. Uh, Laura tells Carlos that it's the kid that she saw from the house. And pretty much uh, I put here, it's like the Super 8 footage keeps going and shows a creepy Tomas writing his name. And then we kind of get the reveal of a disfigured face, which is very sad to see. And uh, kids can be mean sometimes. And that's the thing that's really sad about this movie, too. But the kids are also just kids. And Mm -hmm. we see at the very end that they do love each other and care for each other. But at the same time, kids pick on kids. And sometimes that has drastic consequences. And I think this movie tells that very beautifully as well. it's, It's haunting. It's so This movie is just sad. I think it just becomes even more sad after you watch it. So when you rewatch it, you're just like, ah. Oh, this movie is heartbreaking. The farther you get into it, it just keeps going. <laughs> uh, but did you get the parallel to uh, Friday the 13th at this point? Um, yeah, a little bit. Just like Because the way it's it, a deformed kid that right. gets killed because uh, the kids are making fun of him and not helping him, and he ends up drowning. Right. And then the mother ends up coming back and killing all the people responsible for killing her son. <laughs> That's actually a really good point. <laughs> there you go. Actually, that is the same plot. <laughs> uh, actually, no, really good call out. Um, also, a little different, but her head gets destroyed. Not chopped off, destroyed. But still, <laughs> same, very same. interesting. It's very interesting. There's a lot of parallels, for sure. I don't know if I'm, it's just the horror nut in me that's like <laughs> wants to draw these conclusions or if they actually drew inspiration from that, but I just couldn't help but see it. No, I, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, we cut to Carlos playing the piano and he's crying as Laura spies on him. And this is where we can actually see almost like an emotional break from Carlos because he's always been like the strong type and stuff like that, but he's like barely playing any tunes, hitting it one key at a time and just sobs. Yeah, when he breaks yeah. out crying, man, I felt it. Like, because, yeah. like you said, he's kind of been this stoic figure of comfort for her. He gives right. her his medal to be like, you know what, you need this more than I do right now. I know you don't necessarily believe, but at the same time, like, I hope it can offer you some comfort. And then, yeah, this moment, uh, and you know, he's been doing this for seven, eight months or right. whatever, and it still hurts um, him. It's still, it's still just crushing him, and yeah, he. You can see at this point where he just breaks, and you can just absolutely feel it. Yeah, uh, that's where we cut to a clock that reads five a.m. We hear some crackling. The door creaks open as something gets under the covers next to Laura. She feels something, thinking it's Carlos, and says that she doesn't remember a night she slept through, that she can't stop thinking, that she talks about a memory of calling uh, their son two little kilos. That's all he weighed. The doctors were worried that's not enough, but it was plenty for them. I love that. It's a more little backstory, which is so cute. It, so so this is re- really interesting because at this point, he is dead, alone. He wants to get her attention. And he used to sleep in bed with him when he got oh, scared. Yeah. And so he opens the door and goes and lays next to her. And yet she doesn't believe yet, so she can't see him, but she can kind of feel his presence, so she knows something is there. And, like, you know, hearing this story, all this just must have been heartbreaking for, for spirit, uh, Simon, you know? Yeah. <sighs> this movie is so sad. Oh, sorry. Wow, I almost got a little teary-eyed right there. Uh, because yeah. that's a good way, because I never saw him as... 
I don't know why, because the first time I watch, I always think of it as just a regular haunting. But mm-hmm. then when you connect the dots that, like, yeah, he used to sleep in bed with his mom, that's mm-hmm. him doing the same thing. And it's not and malicious at all. No, it's innocent. You know, it's, literally, it's literally innocent, exactly. Right. And she talks about, like, how she remembers his smile, his eyes, mm-hmm. uh, that Simone made them um, stronger together. And that's the big thing. It's like the, the, it was one big unit when he was around. Uh, she asks for forgiveness if she gets upset because of the situation. Uh, she sees that there's feet under the bathroom door and tells Carlos that someone is coming. The bathroom light turns off and the door slowly opens. But then we realize it is actually Carlos. She flips the sheet over and there's nothing there. She tells him that someone was in their bed with her. And we cut to black. I love that we cut to black a lot too. It kind of like mm-hmm. transitions each scene. That's where uh, we are now at a seminar that is happening. A guy talking about a passport to another world. She goes up to the presenter after the class is done, saying it's been nine months, asking for help to reach her son. She has a piece of clothing of the kidnapper. He asks if he would, be, if she would be okay if a medium comes visit the house. Now we're getting on that insidious plot line. (laughs) Uh, We cut to black again. We see a lady walking in the house now. She asks questions about the room that they're in, and she has an entire team with her. She asks for something old from the past, and perhaps maybe an old piece of clothing. The medium says that they are not alone. The doorbell rings, and her colleague explains that the 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 investigator of the cop wants to join them. She allows it. Um, so one thing that I actually forgot when we were talking about the boy in the hallway earlier, Mm -hmm. um, when she falls backwards, she actually grabs a piece piece of his, uh, either mask or shirt. Right. And yeah, I have a a note here that she hands him the piece of cloth or mask, uh, that she ripped from the boy that, you know, supposedly doesn't exist. Right. And that's the big thing. Like there's a lot of people, including Carlos that just never really believe her. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, why are the movies just like this? It's like, <laughs> they're, they're always fighting for, like, someone please believe me, right? A support system. Which we see yeah. a lot with the husband in Insidious as well. Um, we cut to them in their new headquarters with cameras set up around the house looking at the video stream. Her colleagues explain why she uses the doll, and in, in it's uh, to have a psychic summoning. And I put here in my notes, like, why does she have to smell it, though? <laughs> and I was to like, create a connection, right, Freddie? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, and I, and they continue to explain it's like some sort of time travel. Aurora yeah. is the name of the medium. Will be able to make that connection. Uh, Enrique, who's the colleague of Aurora, is instructed if he is ready. He says that he is. We see some flashing lights begin to happen. Aurora sitting in a chair, and then they start to start doing a uh, recording for the audio. They begin having the connection happen as someone preps her, describing that she's surrounded by darkness and that she will be able to see anyone who's hiding in the house. And I love this. This is a great uh, way to have suspense. He begins to count down from 10, 9, 8. Uh, the flashes stop as she opens her eyes as the countdown stops as well. She is shivering. She says that it's cold, that the window is open. She gets up and closes it. He asks if anyone's there with her. 
She says that she can hear someone. She walks into the hallway. The guy draws on the map of her route. She continues saying that she can hear something, that the sound comes and goes. She enters another room in the house. She can't hear it anymore. Then she says she can hear it again. That's when we all hear the words, all alone. She's sure it's kids at the end of the hall. She walks towards it. That's when they're trying to fix some type of frequency uh, noise that there is coming through all the audio feed. She gets to a door that she can't open because it's locked, but she can hear that someone is crying. Behind the door, they start to respond that they are all sick. She asks for them to open the door, and they want her to open the door in response. The door opens, and we just see the fear in her eyes and face. And this is what I was talking about, like the facial expressions. We don't see what she sees. We see what she's looking at with her face, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, and all it's we haunting. hear, like the children's cries. And, yes. and yeah, oh my gosh. Um, like, it's so effective. It's it, terrifying. It, going, going back to Insidious, you know, we talked about how effective it was when they described the monster mm-hmm. to us, and we kind of got to use our imaginations to figure out like what we thought it looked like. And this is a very similar technique where they are, she's describing that how the house kind of looks uh, in its older state, which again comes to play later in the movie. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's absolutely a haunting scene, as you yeah, said. Yeah, it, it's uh, like you said to um, hear them cry and the wailing, it's so overpowering in this scene, mm-hmm. and you just feel sad or confused or scared. I was terrified. I was like, What is she looking at? Because my first time watch, I don't know what's happening to these kids in this scene or what they're doing. Uh, anything could be happening, and then when we get to reality of what was happening, it's just a sad reality of what happened to him. And as the viewer, we know that all this is happening, right? We know this is real. So when Pilar and uh, Carlos kind of dismiss it as a parlor trick, like they're playing those cries, they had this whole thing scripted. It just like breaks my heart. Right. The reality of what was happening. Um, The colleague Enrique asks what she sees. She says that she sees five sick kids. She's asking what happened and that they are and and explains that they are dying. They say who uh, who would want to poison you? Uh, they respond that someone wants to kill them. Laura asks if her son is there. She asks a question. More railing can be heard, and then more static and all the cameras now are starting to turn off all of the screens. They call for Aurora. He begins to count down from 10 again as the cameras begin to start working. And I love that, like, every time he says a number, a camera turns back on and back mm-hmm. on and back on until it's, like, the camera that was on her. It's yeah, really great I love too. same thing with the piece of paper where he'd been tracing her route. All of a sudden, when that final camera turns on, he, like, traces back to the uh, room where she was originally in because that's where she is again all right. of a sudden. It's, it's so effective. It's so good. It's it's well editing, too. The editing yes. in this movie is so great. Uh, we cut to her explaining that she was in the house, but everything was different, much older. Explaining that there was like old toys, old decorations, furniture, kind of like in the past. That there was also a light from the lighthouse that was coming through the windows. That she didn't really recognize anyone. They are talking about the children and the ghosts, and that it is indeed ghosts. When something bad happens, that it leaves a trace. 
that things get repeated over and over again, like a scar or a pinch, that those who are close to death can see them. And then pretty much I put here, a.k.a. Simone was able to see them because he was close to death. Carlos just calls it off. Um, pretty much also, uh, Pilar says it's a sideshow and that they will eventually want money. Laura argues that the police couldn't find anything, not even if he was dead or alive, to what's the harm in doing this. And that's when she tells her to leave. She talks to the medium outside, asking what she could do. Aurora tells her that she's a good mom and that her pain gives her strength and it will guide her. That she's the only one that knows how far she must go. For her to believe and she will see. There's a lot of powerful lines in this dialogue that they have back and forth with the medium and her. Yeah, um, I wrote, seeing is not believing, it's the other way around. Right. Believe. Believing is seeing. It, it's so poetic, and this is kind of like a, the folklore a little bit in this movie, or the fairy tale aspect of things. It's like mm-hmm. the lesson learned. Yeah, and it's it's similar. We go back to the Peter Pan story in the yeah. beginning. Where it's, you know, it's not just the fairy dust. Like, you have to believe in it for it to make you fly, right? Right. There's a lot of parallels also well with uh, Peter Pan, which I loved. And we kind of get that call back later on in the movie as well, towards the mm-hmm. end. Uh, Carlos, Carlos starts to take down all of his investigation work. Laura asks what he's found. He says that they can't stay here anymore. Laura says the children are here and that Aurora saw them and that she can't leave. He explains that they could have rigged everything, that even uh, Enrique was left with the audio for hours, uh, with the cables for hours. She explains that they just want help. He doesn't like what she's doing. He explains if Simone is still alive, he doesn't know how this would help. He wants to leave the house. She pleads for him to not give up and cries to him. They embrace together, and then we cut to the lighthouse. I loved this shot. The shot of them through the doorway. Yeah. Where when they're embracing and she's just sobbing into his his chest essentially. Um, it's just a really cool silhouette and framing shot. We talk yeah. about camera work and how the camera work has been so good. There's a couple great shots where they utilize the environment to frame yes. a very specific image. And it's it's really well done and, and used really well in the it, film. It's used really well here. And then one of the last shots that we get in the movie as well with the kids yep. and her. But mm-hmm. there's yeah, no the framing in every shot. Every shot has a purpose in this movie, which is really cool. Literally everything in this movie has a purpose. Yeah. Like there is something uh, that we just talked about, about the, the old timey like linens and furniture and stuff that comes mm-hmm. back in just a little while. Yeah. No, there's, uh, I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Laura now sitting outside on the stairs. She comes back into the house in the room of the multiple beds. She asks, where are you? And that she is not afraid. And then a window shatters out of nowhere. This got me. I have to say, the first time watching this movie, I did not expect it because it's very unexpected. Uh, I Okay, like for haunted movies, you see like, you know, doors creaking, you hear weird noises, but I've never seen just a window shatter out of nowhere. So that was kind of cool and refreshing to see as well. It- it was also very realistic because single plane pane glass like that, if it takes enough force from hitting something at the bottom, will shatter like just like that. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was really cool that they had something like that in it. And the sound design is perfect too. It's loud enough to jump scare you. Oh, we forgot to talk about the sound design when uh, Aurora was walking around. 
you could hear every single footstep as she oh, was yeah. taking steps from uh, point A to point B until she suddenly ended up back in the chair. Right. And there was like no footsteps at all from when she went from that room where the cameras cut out to when she was sitting back in the chair. But the entire time she was walking around and they were doing the seance, uh, we could hear her footsteps. It's almost like she got transported back to where she began. It's like, yeah. you don't belong in this side. Go back. Or yeah. was she ever moving at all? That's she always in the chair. And she was astral walking through the house. And we saw, <laughs> I don't know. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I put here in, this, in the notes, the window shatter scared the shit out of me. <laughs> uh, she opens a chest below it and sees that there's a bunch of kids' names written on the wooden uh, panels. She takes the the wooden planks out and finds a doll. Then, yeah, sorry. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. No, no, uh, real good. quick. I, I this scene made me laugh because she takes the Victor plate out like three times. Because uh, you see her pull the plate out, set it on top of another plate, then it cuts to her pulling, I think, the Victor plate out, and then setting it on top of the plate. But then when you look at the cut, it's two plates, and it's the Victor plate. And then there's like one more thing where it's like the Victor plate again. And it just made me laugh. Like oh. I watched it a couple times just just to make sure I wasn't crazy. Right. But the order, I, I have a feeling that when they reset this shot, they just kind of put them down and at some point forgot the continuity of the order. Right. And, and just set them there. And then when it got edited, it just got kind of jumbled, but it just kind of made me laugh. That's pretty um, funny. That's a really was, good find. That's a small detail. Yeah. It, it was a very interesting thing. It's like, I also was like, thinking, it's like, do kids just randomly like write their names engraved in like planks? For fun, no, <laughs> right? <know>. Yeah, <laughs> this was definitely an interesting sequence because, yeah, each each plank had their name written on it, and then there was a doll that for represented each one. them underneath. Like who made and the dolls? So, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Like, did the kids make them, and that's kind of like the representation of them because they they show up throughout the rest of the film here, right? It's and, maybe uh, up the part of the orphanage is like, hey, when you like move in here, you get your own doll that represents you, and you have to take care of yourself. So it's like right. you take care of the doll. The doll tickets of you. It's like a support system, maybe. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. But I loved this sequence though. Despite that that one little uh continuity thing that I noticed. Yeah. Um, I absolutely loved this whole sequence. Like you said, the window breaking, uh, her discovering the dolls, finding the one that was missing, and actually going and grabbing it and putting it in its place and all that stuff was just uh really neat as as she kind of put the puzzle pieces together exactly. after asking for a sign. Yeah, so exactly what you're saying. She finds all the dolls of all the children. She grabs the doll from earlier, uh, places it with the rest of them, and that's when she finds a photo of her and her son. Um, and she asks, oh, you want to play? Do you want to play with me? And then we hear more creaking sounds that can be heard. We see her in the photo, uh, go into the photo album where she finds a rose, a dead one. She goes outside to the rose bush and finds a piece of uh, cloth with a picture on it. She knows where it's from. So then she finds more and more clues until she finds a doorknob. A doorknob that she's really intrigued by. That she searches all around the house looking at all the doorknobs to see where it's missing from. She goes outside to the shed. She goes in and sees the locket of the lady that was hiding in there from earlier, B. She finds a door with a lock on it. She gets a shovel and manages to hit it a few times, but nothing really happens until she just kicks the door right open. 
it's some powerful great. stuff. Yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those moments you always wish for in movies where it's like, well, why are you trying to break the lock when obviously this door is like rotting wood and you could probably right. just break <laughs> through it. And she does. She she, she kicks the shit out of it. <laughs> uh, she looks inside and uses, and I'm, I'm telling you, there's something about old school lamps that comes back in horror films. She had a flashlight <laughs> earlier in this movie. I was like, where's your flashlight? It's a lamp. I was now. talking. I was talking about parallels to Insidious. Right. There's, this is just another one, and I actually have it in my notes that she picked up a lantern, just like I Insidious. It's like, like horror films and lamps and lanterns. Yeah, <laughs> lanterns. Yes. Uh, but yeah, she uses the lantern to look inside as she crawls in. Why? Why would you do this? Uh, she clears out all of the things inside, which looks like a bunch of bags, maybe filled with sand or something like that. She notices that uh, there's. Soot. Sorry, was it? Soot. It's filled with soot from the fireplace. Oh, that's right. Okay. And that's when she notices a jawbone part of the pile. She pleads that she hopes it's not Simone. She dumps one of the bags and sees more skeletons. It's all of the children. Now we got a little bit more context of why B was there. That's when we cut to the police arriving. Laura in shock looking from the window. That's when we cut to some more Super 8 footage that she's looking at of the kids eating. She's watching the footage telling Carlos that it's all of her friends, and then she names off all the kids, thinking that the lady must have killed them, and that's why she was in the shed that night. And that's, uh, that's not reality of what happened. Uh-huh. Um, she says that... Yeah, she was trying to get rid of the evidence. She was trying to get rid of the evidence. Uh, man, it's so sad. It's always especially in movies, and I know this is just a movie, but like anything that's like kid related, it's such like even more heartbreaking for some reason. Absolutely. Especially something like this where we find we literally find out everything, like that the kids were poisoned. Right. You know, that she they died one by one, most likely. And, you know, like I, I don't I wonder the context of, of how, why the bodies were burned and hidden. Um mm-hmm. And if that was a choice that, that they made, because obviously there was something that led to this this place shutting down, which we don't necessarily get like the full breakdown of. Right. Um, but is it, you know, negligence and incompetence from the owners who obviously weren't paying enough attention or something uh, uh, to that uh, line of thinking? Yeah, because not knowing because what happened, they, exactly. they just disappeared, essentially, the five kids. Um, so very interesting, and, um, but also just so sad. And think about uh, what she kind of talks about when she talks to B in the beginning when they were first talking to each other. They're like, oh, yeah, we just want five to six kids in mm-hmm. this house. And ultimately, when we get our ending, she gets exactly what she wants, which she is does. like, that's crazy. Um, she says that they are playing games with her and that she doesn't know how to play. Carlos, still not believing her, says that Simone planted all the clues for her attention. He doesn't want them to stay there anymore as well. He says that he can, uh, that she can stay here alone if that's what she wants. And she said that she just can't leave, that there's a lot of memories here and she needs time, that she wants to have two days alone. Uh, that's, that's the thing that she needs. Then we cut to him leaving, her kissing him as he gets in his car, Maybe about to say something, but just leaves her alone at the house. Yeah, rolls down the window and just kind of like looks at <sighs> this longing face of like, I really, it's like behind his eyes, you see, I really don't want you to do this. Please come with me. 
And then he wants to respect her decision and give her what she wants, even though he, against all odds, against his gut, knows that it's a terrible idea, uh, just drives away. And man, it's rough. I love that you saw the bright side of him. For me, watching this movie, I was like, what a dick. You're leaving her behind. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh, he's respecting her and what she wants. I'm just like, no, you you guys should be together. (laughs) It's like, you're you're just abandoning her? You gave her an ultimatum and just left. What a dick. (laughs) But you know what? I did. (laughs) You're you're probably right. I did think the ultimatum sucked. Like, I'm going to agree with you there. But after it had been decided and he... Uh, she requested those two days and he decided to let her have those. Um, I was like, okay. I mean, at least he wasn't, you know, the biggest jerk he could have been in that situation. That's fair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, ultimately they're all good people towards the end anyways. But yeah, um, she watches him leave. And I put here, like, she's on a mission. Now we got some intense music. It's like cutting all around. She's doing like, weird laundry, rearranging things. Uh, she empties out the kid's room and then like, she makes up a scarecrow and then puts it up. I don't know so, where the scarecrow comes from because they don't okay. really bring it back. Right? I got this. Okay. I got this. You got it. In the very beginning of the movie, you see that scarecrow right. out in the playground when they're playing. So what oh, she's doing is she's, is she's recreating the past. Exactly. She's okay. resetting yeah, yeah. the stage for That's everything right. to be the same. When she's doing the laundry, she's washing all the old linens. When right. uh, she, then she's dressing the beds in their old in their old linens so that everything is exactly like it was when she was there or when Tomas was there and Guelmo, Guelmo and um, you know all the kids. Right. Um, so yeah, no, that perfectly her, explains it. I even have it yeah. here. My my next note was she goes back in and makes the beds what I'm assuming like they were before in the past. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, that's exactly. So right. yeah, putting the scarecrow up is is literally just because it was there when she yeah. was a kid. Damn. Uh, she places a doll at each one of the beds. That's where we hear some thunder as we go outside. Uh, outside for a shot of the house. So real quick, mm-hmm. the she puts the dolls in the beds in their original places too. Yes, where the kids slept. Each one belonging mm-hmm. to each kid, yeah. Uh, we cut to the next day, her wearing a medallion. Uh, she goes in and takes her pills and picks some berries. She grabs the doorknob and looks at herself in the mirror. She rings the outside bell. We hear the bell ringing throughout the house. She sits at the dinner table, and now we see all of the dolls sitting at the table as she prays. Super creepy. Yes, terrifying. <laughs> it's just the but- setting looks like, yeah. Yeah, the, the tea party from hell, right? <laughs> um, and yeah, her ringing the dinner bell and the table being set right. exactly like it would have been when she was a kid and her dressed up as one of the old caretakers yeah. uh, sitting at the head of the table. And also the representation of her being Wendy as a kid growing up in the in the orphanage and then becoming the person who is taking care of the house as you know, the, the new quote unquote caretaker, just like Wendy, when Peter Pan comes back and finds, um, Wendy's daughter. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The parallels between Peter Pan and this movie is phenomenal. And it's, it's crazy to think it's like a haunted house movie can be related to Peter Pan. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love that. Uh, but yeah, uh, as she prays, as she's thankful for them being all together, and I put here, it's like she seems very sick at this point. 
she yells what more do they want from her and what they and what more she can do she asks if they want to keep playing she says let's make a deal i'll keep playing for a while if you tell me where my son is yelling if they take that deal saying okay okay (laughs) and then she plays the knock game that we saw from earlier in the movie the back and forth camera movements is also really great between these shots. It just like shows her and then shows what's behind her. Yeah. So the dinner scene has so much emotion. Like when she has trouble scooping the sugar and she just, it slips and she freaks out and is like, what do you want from me? And then she turns around. And at that moment I was like, she just thought of it. She thought of the game that they yeah. used to play as kids when she turned around away from the table just like she would have. And I almost expected her to just start playing right then and there. And then she turns back around and then we get this scene. And like you said, when the camera pans to her and then pans behind her, it's so cool. And then we get the switch where it's then instead of going from her to behind her, Mm -hmm. we see it from behind her and then back to her. It's really so cool. Um, so this scene specifically, and I've not seen this movie, like I said earlier in the episode, but I've seen this scene. This scene was part of a um, a list of like 10 most scariest scenes in, mov- in horror movies. And I remember hmm. seeing this and I was like, oh, that's where this is from, this movie. Um, but yeah, no, it's effective. And I think this is probably is. one of the scariest scenes because of how the camera moves and how it creates suspense and how you don't know how close they're going to be the next time the camera pans to the right and looks the, at them. The interesting thing, though, is that just like we were talking about in the 1408 episode where we were talking about the house never really trying to kill him, mm-hmm. these kids never really showed any malice of of trying to kill anyone, Right. right. Um, even even Simone's death is just a tragedy. Yeah, um, they were trying to. When you think about it in context, they were trying to protect him. And uh, you know, like going back to when they locked her in the bathroom earlier, and they were like, "Here's my home." And then he accidentally got locked in there, which ended up turning into a tragedy. But originally, the idea was that he want they wanted to protect him. Right. They wanted him to stay with them forever. Which honestly, eventually theoretically would have led to his death but at the same time that like wasn't the original intention right it's it's just the innocence of children right and so although the tension was great and it was kind of like oh what's going to happen when all the kids are out scene it still didn't necessarily feel like something terrible was going to happen you just didn't know what was going to happen it's uh, and that's what makes this movie so engaging too because there's not too much going on but it's, it's enough for you to like oh i want to see more and more the pacing is really well done in this movie i never felt the runtime especially when i was doing the notes it took me forever but at the same time i was okay with it because i just wanted to Absolutely. see what happened next and what happened next and what happened next but yeah as she continues to play the game she hears the door open behind her and she continues she sees someone in the door frame this time each time she turns the kids get closer and closer she does it again, and now all of the kids are there. She does it one more time, and then they're super close. Again, and she gets tapped, and then she begins to chase the kids. She explains to one of them that she just wants to find Simone. The kid disappears around the corner as she looks into the closet as she is gone and disappeared, and she opens the door and closes, and the door closes behind her. She opens it, and no one is there. She continues to look, and the door begins to close again. 
she looks and uh, she looks to the right and the doorknob on it and on the door of the closet and she realizes it's the same doorknob that she has. The door slams shut. She turns on the light and she knocks on the walls, seeing that there's one side that is hollow. Move too fast on there. Uh, she moves things out if uh, out of the way as she manages to uh, rip the wallpaper where there's a hole, and the hole is perfectly made for the doorknob that she has. Cutting to the original credit scene. Exactly, the wallpaper. Earlier, everything theme. comes back. It's so cool. It's, it's such a cool it's visual. So cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she places it in, opening a hidden door, and it has a bunch of stairs that are going down. And I put here, with no fear at all, she begins going down those stairs. <laughs> um, we see something walk past it's below. the power of her son, remember. Exactly. And this is the thing. You know? It's like the medium talked about this. Only you know how far you're going to go. It's like she's going to push herself. And she argued, too, to the people from the group, is that she'll do anything in her power to get her son back. Yep. And we see that. This is the power of love between a mother and her son. Exactly. Um, she turns on the light switch, and I love this scene. It flickers as we see the sat kid appear and then disappear. Tomas. Um, and then there's a bunch of drawings of kids on the wall. We hear creaking as she turns. We see a photo of the lady and Tomas, the lady B&B. She goes and sees some, uh, goes and sees that there's a bed, and Simone is inside it. He asks why she's crying. She grabs him, uh, grabs him, and that says that he is freezing, and that she will get him out of there. We hear some clanging going on, and then we see some, ch- and then we hear some children laughing. He says to stay and play with them. She carries him and says to imagine that they're just the dumb, dumb too. To only think of the time before the house and his dad. To close his eyes and to hold on tight. To only think about that. Also think about the kids not being real and that's only a nightmare. When you open your eyes, make them go away. And I just put here, there's a bunch of frantic music and a close-up to her face. And that's when she opens her eyes and nothing. She says she says to close his eyes and to keep on playing with her. She drops the blanket that was wrapped around him, and there's nothing in her hands anymore. That's when she begins to see a skeleton on the ground. We get a quick flashback about the conversation Simone and her had about the house of Tomas. When she was in the house during the party, she was the one who locked the closet door. That all the thudding was coming from him, and he was the one that was locked in there. That's when we get our uh, heartbreaking reveal. So this this entire Ooh. sequence had yeah. me on the edge of my seat because she walks down into this cellar. There, you can see Tomas and all of his innocence, like just looking at the other kids and wanting to be like them and drawing, and it, like stuck in this almost dungeon-like basement, hidden in a closet. Right, uh, and it, it's so heartbreaking that he. Just, he just wants to be part of the kids, you know? Right. And because of, of you know, the way he was born, like, it ends up ma- them making fun of him and leading to his death when they trick him. And it's like, it's I can, I can just see all that innocence with all those drawings that he did of the kids and everything. It's so heartbreaking. Um, and then, of course, like, the moment when uh, we see 
her find Simone. And then the, um, when she closes her eyes, there's this beautiful effect where the color washes out mm. of the film. Um, and you notice that everything is dusty and even worse than like it looked in, as like, cause when she first walks down there, it's like a, a normal kind of unkempt basement. But right. when, when she opens her eyes again, it's a lot more gray, that, dark, yeah, shadowy. it's much more dilapidated. Mm-hmm. All those pictures are gone. None of them exist. There's no color. Um, and it, it was like that just kind of all came crashing down on me because when we see Simon, he's um, kind of despondent, right? Like he's, right. he's not exactly like his chipper self. And at first you might think, oh, it's, it's because, uh, you know, he's been down in this basement. And I was trying to rationalize like how he was still alive right. by thinking maybe the kids were bringing him food. That's why they were, you know, running around upstairs and uh, whatnot. And uh, obviously, like I said earlier, in the second watch, I realized that the figure that came into the bedroom with her was um, Simone getting in bed with her. But at this point, I didn't know that because we didn't 100% know that he was gone. Um, So I thought maybe they were bringing him food and water and uh, maybe it was just because he was without his his medication. So uh, his immune system was not running as well as it should be. And so he was like kind of starting to get sick and that's why he was cold. Um, and th- this is all the stuff my mind was trying to rationalize as this scene was right. happening. It gives you hope. But at the same time, yeah, it gives me hope. But at the same time, there was that dark feeling at the, in the back of my mind of like, there's no way. There's just no way. With the way that the wallpaper was like fused uh, right. with the doorway and everything, like no one had been here, right? Um, so when that color fades and and we see her open her eyes and then the blanket falls down. You're like, Oh no, 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 no. And then she starts looking around. She sees the broken um, staircase, the railing on the staircase. And you're like, Oh, that's, that's like the thud that happened. And then they show you all of it. And the, the husk that they created for his like dehydrated um, remains was just, so heartbreaking it, and right. it just it captured this real. Imi- yeah it captured this image of you know like him but also yeah like all of his features were sunken in and dry and sucked up and you're like oh man he just he was down here for like a year and they just didn't even know yeah um so you get two just- sad backstories you get his and you ultimately know what happened to him and you get the backstory of Tomas a little bit more too. And it's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, ugh, absolutely crushing. Very crushing. Um, but yeah, when she realizes it's him, uh, she screams, no, and it's indeed oh, him. And it's a haunting cry that can be heard throughout the entire house. Um, and it, it's, yeah, no, that acting is so good that you just, feel every single pain that comes out of her in that scream and those cries. And I was like, damn, like that's, that's emotional weight right there for sure. Yeah. She lifts the mask and realizes it's him and, and kind of like backs away and just crumples and says no. And then just, you see the different shots of the house and her just yelling no and realizing the tragedy and and what just happened. And she uh, slowly brings his body back upstairs not like this. Yeah. Um, she goes back into the kids' room and she explains that she found him and it's not fair. 
Uh, she takes some more pills and then even more. She begins to cough and takes even more pills. And I even put here, this ending is very dark and very sad. Um, oh, man. When she's just choking down those pills, right. I, I broke. This is the point where I was just like, just broken. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I, uh, she just can't handle it. She's done. She just wants to be with him. And man, it was like when the metal broke, that right. was it. I was done. I was broken. Um, it shows like uh, mother's love has no bounds, right? She just yeah. wants to be with her kid. That's her main mission in life, right? That's everything. Um, and having that conclusion, it's just, uh, it rips your heart out of your chest. Um, and she takes off, uh, she rips off the medallion that Carlos gave her, um, drops it. And I put here, the camera moves through the house as we hear creepy sounds and creaking and slumping. As she slowly looks up and opens her eyes, she says that she wants her son back. And then we see a white flash come through the window. She turns and sees that the lighthouse is now working. She looks outside and sees her younger self as well. She lowers him down onto his feet as it flexes like he's back alive. He seems okay. He asks if he can wake up, and she says of course he can as she kisses him. He says that he found his lucky coins and that he he has to make his wish now, that she can stay with them forever and take care of them all. And that's when we see the room filled with the kids in their beds. A kid walks in and grabs a, uh, the hand of another young one as they go up to her and touch her face. She says, uh, the kid says that it's Laura, and all of the other kids begin to smile and laugh. They all get up and run and embrace her. And I just put here, it's, man, this movie is fucking sad. Uh, <laughs> this is the part where like I started tearing up and stuff like that as well. I was like, oh my so, God, this is like, it's a happy moment, but it's a very sad reality of what is happening in this moment. What I loved about this is um, without a mask on, Tomas comes in and right. he grabs the blind girl by the hand oh, that's right. and takes her over to Laura. I almost called her Wendy. Uh, takes her <laughs> over to Laura and, uh, and feels her face. And right. since she knows Laura from, you know, as a kid, even though bone structures change, like the, the idea is really cool right. that she feels her face and she's like, Oh my gosh, everyone, it's Laura. Have you seen, I forget what it's called. It's hook. Yeah. The movie hook mm-hmm. with Robin Williams. There is a scene where he's trying to explain. It's like, Oh, this is Peter. This is Peter. And one of the kids touches his face. Yep. And it's just like, it is you, Peter. It, You've again, grown old. And it's all the kids coming up to him and like touching. And I was like, damn, it's very similar and it's such a cool parallel. And yeah, I do wonder if that moment was kind of inspired by Hook. Right. Or what came out first? Uh, I mean, I Hook was 90s. 90s, so. yeah, yeah. So yeah, maybe it was. Um, and it, of course, in my notes, I'm just like mistyping stuff. I'm like, this is very sad. I'm very sad yeah. about this. Uh, they said that she grew up old, just like Wendy. And Simone mm-hmm. says, the house, the beach, the lost children. Then she starts to tell a new fable of their story as the camera pans back as the music continues. And I said right here is another great filming, uh, framing shot of the group. And we cut to the lighthouse, then transition to a sunrise. Um, we can see a funeral being held just by like the voices. And then we see the tombstone uh, with her and her son. And also a memorial of all the kids can be heard as well. Speaking of older names. Carlos goes up to the tombstone with a f- with some flowers, laying it in front of it. We transition back to him in the room, the kids' room. He finds the medallion on the ground, 
As he can hear the door open behind him, he turns around, begins to smile as the music plays, and then credits. Whew. Man. What an ending. Going going back to the, the framing... I loved that this plaque was super reflective and we could see Carlos kind of like a, as a blurry figure moving closer and then right. he got clearer. We realize it's Carlos and then it cuts to him setting down the flower. Yeah. Um, I thought that was just really cool. And yeah, it says in memory of Laura, si- uh, Simon uh, and the orphans, Martin, Rita, Guillermo, Guillermo. I can't say that name. I'll never be able to say it properly. <laughs> Alicia, Victor and Tomas. Oh man, what a movie! I, it, yeah, this is probably one of my favorite watches of this year. Uh, I'm really happy I was able to finally knock this off my watch list because, like I said, I have heard great things about it, and I'm happy you were able to check it out too, being part of the show. So that worked out. Yeah, this was absolutely amazing. I'm. I mean, obviously, if I wasn't on this show, I would have loved listening to this episode and getting a chance to watch this film that way. Because, uh, you know, obviously, Nightlight has introduced me to so many great movies that um, I either missed or or didn't get to watch. And so, yeah, being able to watch this and and experience it with you and and talk about it has just been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, this movie is definitely a great film and. Not not as spoopy as as it could be, um, <laughs> but uh, it, I think the story and the writing and as you said, like the way it's shot, is just so compelling. And how everything everything comes back, yeah. Uh, in the end, like like I was saying earlier, uh, Carlos, you know, regretting leaving her there. Like, can you imagine how much guilt he feels? Like, I should have just made her come with me, but I let her stay and now she's gone. But at the very least, at least she's with Simone now. And, uh, you know, like it's just, yeah, such a beautiful tragedy. Yeah. That's a really great way to put it. It's a beautiful tragedy. Um, it's something that stays with you. I think this is a story, although, like you said, just not, doesn't have all the spooks in it. There are some scary moments, Mm -hmm. but the scary thing about this is, the story itself and how impactful it can be. And the yeah. big one too is like anyone who's ever lost maybe a child watching this movie is I can't even fathom how that must feel. Oh or, man, devastating. It's that's yeah. that's the real scary thing about this movie, the loss of a yep. child. And, yeah, and and searching for over a year, you right. know, with with no luck, no evidence, not no, even nothing. an idea of what happened to him. And that's something that maybe a lot of people go through that really haunts them and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, this movie is super well done, super well directed, great acting. Uh, like I said, I don't think I can make this movie any better. I don't have any suggestions for it. I think the pacing was really good. The score, the sound design, it's as good as it can be. And it works. It works very, Especially very, very well. Especially for a four and a half million dollar budget. Right. And, and I can see how they can they really utilize their budget in the right ways because this movie doesn't have to go super fancy or anything like that. It's a very personal story. And I think that's the thing that really makes it work is that it's very contained and it really talks about Laura's perspective for the most part out of everything. And we get some really cool scenes with like the medium and stuff like that too. So there is that entertainment aspect to slings. Uh, We have the Mm -hmm. great knock game, which is cool to see. 
Um, and like I said, I saw that in like one of the top 10 scariest scenes in the horror films. Um, I'm pretty sure I may have seen it in that Shutter exclusive show, like a hundred uh, famous scary movies or something like that. But no, I, I love this movie. And I think um, we were yeah, both so looking forward to, to talking about it. Yeah. Oh God. Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and we finally did it. This is the thing that ended the month too. So thank you for the ghoulish nights who also voted for this movie. We would have never watched it if you guys never voted for it. So I appreciate you for picking like the best movie to end the spooky season. Uh, but before we head off, I do have some movie facts. Movie facts. Uh, so this movie premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, where it received a 10-minute standing ovation. Rightfully so. <laughs> um, this is cool. This this scored the biggest box office opening for a film in uh, Spain, outgrossing the similarly successful Pan's Labyrinth. Wow. wow. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, considering how much of a visual spectacle that movie uh, is, like Pan's Labyrinth, Oh my god. Over 400 children auditioned for the role of Simone. Really? Wow. I usually hear story of like, you know, in the like 50s, <laughs> 60s, 100s, but 400. 400. Um <laughs> now let's talk about the top grossing film in Spain still. Uh the top grossing film in Spain in 2007 outperforming Shrek the 3rd and Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm really happy this movie did well overseas then. That's really cool to see. Um the orphanage was an old colonial house in the town of Lons as a lot of JA Bayona's cinematic plans were impossible to achieve on location. Several parts of the house had to be recreated on the soundstage. In fact, over 80% of the film was shot in a studio. Interesting. For the interiors? For the interiors, yeah. Wow. 80% of the film. Interesting. Huh. Um, That's cool. Let's see if I can get one more good one. Uh, I don't know if this actually came through, but Spain's official submission to the Best Foreign Language Film category for the 80th Annual Academy Awards. Oh, wow. Um, we'll do, let's do one more. And I like this one because I actually knew about this, too, because I, I grew up Catholic. My mom always told me about uh, St. Anthony. Uh, she's like, if you ever lose something, St. Anthony's your saint to find stuff. But Laura's <laughs> necklace being St. Anthony's medallion makes a clever reference to her plight. In a Catholic religion, St. Anthony is the doctor and patron saint of lost items. That's cool. That's yeah. a detail that I didn't know. Um, that's really neat. But yes, I do want to give a major shout out to you for joining me through this whole entire spooky month. Thank you so much for being here. You've been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and being on the show with. Uh, you got your night name as well, Forest Night, yeah. which is fucking awesome. And I think we ended it on a really great note. And I'm sure we'll probably hear your voice in the future as well. But if you have anything to say or any final thoughts about the movie, please, the floor is yours. Tell people where they can find you as well. Um, you're, you're absolutely brilliant. I love doing this with you. I, I just can't thank you guys enough for letting me be a guestly ghoulish knight. Um, I, I said that earlier and I was like, huh, ghastly, ghastly. All right. <laughs> that sounds kind of intelligent, I guess. Um, but uh, no, I, I really can't thank you enough for, for letting me jump in here and share this month with you. Uh, finally getting to actually 
be on some episodes with you has been absolutely amazing. Like I loved working with Prince on um, Salem's Lot and uh, this has been just as much of a pleasure. And I loved the movies that we got to watch. Um, There was so much fun exploring them. Like 1408, like we started that episode kind of warm, like lukewarm, not like super stoked, but like, um, you know, it also wasn't negative. Right. Right. But we're here to celebrate movies for sure. Yeah. By the end, we've just both had so much fun talking about all the crazy stuff that happened in that movie. And, uh, just the episode overall that we were both came off of it really high. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, it's just, it's so much fun how breaking down a movie and talking about all the cool things and having different perspectives. Like, you know, you said, uh, Carlos, you were just like, screw that guy. Like, <laughs> what a <I> dick. <laughs> yeah. But I, I was more sympathetic with his plight and thought it was int- like, thought, I thought it was cool that he respected his wife's wishes. And even though he was thought better against it. And those, those things are what make nightlight great. Um, because all three of you have such great voices and such great insight and it's so much fun to listen to. And I, you know, have to throw out a big thank you to the ghoulish nights, um, for continuing to support you and bloody disgusting for, you know, bringing you guys on and making this thing, something that I got to share with you and, uh, got to break down some movies. I'm literally about to cry. <laughs> no, yeah. I- it's it's our love and passion for horror, right? And that, like I said, we always want to celebrate movies as much as possible. And the community has been more than receiving than we would ever think. And no, the big shout out to the Ghoulish Sites for even listening to us and valuing our voices. And I love hearing your voice, so keep it going because I loved working with you. And I want to give a great shout out to like allowing me to take over for... October, one of our busiest months. And that gave me a lot of anxiety and pressure. I'm like, oh God, everyone loves Prince. Prince is the head knight. Mm-hmm. He's the guy. It's like, I can't take over. But thank you for allowing me to take the risk and allowing me to branch out. I'm a very shy person, believe it or not. <laughs> I, I, I'm definitely an extrovert, but I'm a shy extrovert. Uh, so doing the show has been a lot of fun. Um, and I, Big shout outs to Prince for doing the show notes every uh, single week because it takes forever. And he's like, you know, he has his own life too and he's doing big things. So look out for that. But yeah, I hope everyone had a great spooky season. It's so much work. People, I don't know if people understand. Like, I wrote my notes over these three movies. I think it totaled out to about 14 pages of text. Yeah. Um, And I skipped dialogue. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Important, important pieces of dialogue I would put in, but a lot of it, I would just describe what they were talking about so I could remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just doing that filled out, you know, like 14 pages of, of you know, digital uh, pages on pa- on pages from my iPhone. <laughs> um, and it's... Uh, it's so much work. Like you guys put so much work and effort into the show. And I think it's just so amazing uh, what, what you guys have created and yeah, it's so much fun. Thank you. And I respect you guys so much. And that's the big takeaway for people is like, do what you love and do it a lot. It's, it's everything. Once you find your passion and you care for something, the work doesn't matter. It makes you happy to do that work. So oh, man, I loved every it. minute. And it's something hopefully you'll enjoy listening, especially this month. And yeah, just gonna be great more content ahead of us. Ahead of us, so we'll see what happens. Um, oh yeah, where can people find you? Oh sure, 
Uh, yeah, so you can find me uh, at Phil J. Woodward on Twitter or at Philip J. Woodward on most platforms. Uh, that's two L's. And uh, simplysassyvids.com, which your episode should be live or about to be live very soon. Oh, so God, I'm scared. please <laughs> go check out every, everyone go check out uh, Freddie's episode of Simply Sassy, where we get to talk about him, his passions, and what he's up to. Yes, please check it out. They do amazing content over there. I, I fell down the rabbit hole just looking up every single video while I was like preparing for that too. So I'm looking forward to like listening to myself too. It's really weird. It's weird how much I've listened to my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like people are like, oh, it's always weird hearing your voice. I'm like, yeah, it feels normal to me now. But yes, yeah. please, everyone, find him out. Look at his stuff. He does incredible things, and he's going to continue doing amazing things. He's going to go so far in life. I'm excited to see everything you do. Um, but yes, so this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Freddie, also known as Night Night. And alongside me, we had Philip. Philip J. Woodward, also known as the Forest Knight. Hell yeah, you are. Uh, with your help, we can reach out to more ghoulish knights with your recommendation to someone who would enjoy the show. If your podcast app does not allow you to rate our show, consider... Oh, wait. If your podcast app allows you to rate our show, please do and consider us uh, five stars, uh, as it does help us out a ton. For extra horror-related content, go over to patreon.com forward slash nightlightpod. That's night with a what? Okay. And remember, everyone, don't forget your nightlight.